Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name is Dwayne. I am one of the pastors here at the District Church. We want to welcome you to the District Church. Uh, we are a church plant, um, which means that we didn't exist over two years ago. Um, and so we are new um, in this city, and we love this city, and we want to see really just Jesus do some amazing things in this city, namely seeing dead people come alive, um, those who are spiritually dead come to know him, be in relationship with him, find forgiveness of sins in him and him alone. And so that's kind of the reason why churches are planted is because they want to see darkness be pushed back within a city. They want to see lost people be found and be saved um, and, and all for God's glory and for our joy. And so that's one of the main reasons why we're here. And that's also one of the reasons why we pick specific books of the Bible to be able to kind of preach through. Um, we're kind of an expositional church. And what I mean by that is we, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And right now we're in the book of Acts. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, um, it is the book that is literally just kind of laying out the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the First Church. Um, so it's a book of history. It's a book of everything that happened from Jesus' ascension after he rose. Um, and, and it literally spends 30 years just tracing the movement of the gospel. So when Jesus kind of gave us the commission to go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us, um, we see that be fleshed out in the book of Acts. Um, Acts 1.8 is kind of the thesis or the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. Acts 1.8 is you will receive power um, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so that's kind of laying out the, the outline for the entire book of Acts is, is literally you're going to see the gospel begin in Jerusalem. And for the first nine or ten chapters, all we hear is in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And then there's persecution to the church in Jerusalem. And then all the Christians scatter outside of Jerusalem. And instead of just scattering and hiding, they scatter on mission. So they're going and they're continuing to proclaim the gospel. They're continuing to spread the name of Jesus. And the word of the Lord is magnified and spreading across region to region. And so we move into Judea and Samaria, which are still... Uh, Jewish in lineage. Um, Samaria is kind of half Jews, so there's a little bit of mixture of Gentile Greek with Jews there, and, and they're hated. And so we're now seeing the gospel move into kind of ethnic barriers and boundaries, and we're just seeing God do some amazing things. We're seeing God truly fulfill what he's said he's going to do, and that is through Abraham in the Old Testament, there's going to be one come who will not only bless the nation of God's chosen people, but also all of the nations. Every nation will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham, and that's ultimately Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing that kind of play itself out through the book of Acts. And that's what it, really what we want to see in the district church. We call ourselves the district because we are district by definition is a community within a city that's marked by a particular characteristic. We want to be a community of people that are marked by the gospel. 
We want to be a community of people who have been lost and are found, who have been dead in their transgressions and are now alive in Christ. We, we want to be marked by that to the point that it changes the way we think, it changes the way that we act, it changes the way that we view others, it changes uh, the way that we steward our resources, it changes what we invest in, how we spend our time. It changes all of those things because we used to be something and now we're something new. There used to be an old self, now there's a new self within us, within Christ, a new identity that is driving us. It's driving our lives. And not only is it driving our lives for God's glory, but it's also driving our lives for our greatest joy. It's driving our lives for, for us to have life, and not only have life, but life abundant, as he says in John 10.10. 10. So this is the greatest life for us. Literally, you kind of living your best life now is living for Christ, in Christ, through Christ, all about Christ in every aspect of your life. And so that's what we're wanting as the district church. And we're tracing through the book of Acts because it was a church plant. They literally started out with a group of people within a city. And they wanted to see Jesus do some incredible things, some impossible things that they could not do themselves. And so Jesus comes in and provides the Holy Spirit in order for there to be power for the gospel to be spread. And to ultimately be spread among the nations. And that's what we want to see here. And so as we're kind of tracing through the book of Acts, we've, we are now in Acts 16. And, um, and just so you know, we've, we've been in Acts since February of 2018. Um, so we, just to kind of like let you in on, we don't try to just brush through stuff really quick. Like we want to sit and marinate in Scripture because we know without it, uh, we, we have no power without it. Like I can come up and motivate you for a little bit, but that's not going to do anything. I can come bring my own opinions on how I think community development should happen in the city. And now we can serve those who are in need in different ways. But like at the end of the day, those are just providing band-aids if we are not at the same time providing the gospel for people. And so the only way that we can truly know and understand the gospel in clarity is to know the word of God. To see it worked out in the word of God. So we're going to sit and we're going to marinate verse by verse through, through the Bible. So that we can ultimately see what God has spoken to us. And how that changes and transforms us based on how we ultimately live. And so we'll, Lord willing, be in Acts um, through November. And if it takes longer than that, then praise God. We'll be in it longer than that. Um, but for the, for the most part, I think, we'll, I think we'll land the plane in November. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, today, and the reason why it takes a while at times, is, is we also want to look at specific texts and even sometimes kind of take a field trip, if you will, uh, within that text. And so where we're at right now is Acts chapter 16. The gospel has come to this region called Macedonia. And specifically within Macedonia, there's a leading city, a district um, called Philippi. And Philippi is, is a city that we've actually been in now for uh, the last four weeks with the exclusion of Easter. Uh, we kind of took a pause for a minute there. Um, but we've been in this city where we've seen God move Paul and Silas to be able to come to this city. And then once they landed in the city, we see Paul uh, go to what's essentially a women's Bible study at this at place called uh, Prayer. And, and they, he goes to this place and he meets this woman named Lydia, who's this wealthy business type woman. Um, she, she has a business within Purple Fabrics, which is uh, basically clothing for the wealthy. 
um, within this area, and, and she's a very successful woman, and we see the gospel come to her. She's a seeker. She's at a women's Bible study. She's praying, but has an incomplete gospel because she doesn't know Jesus Christ, and so Paul comes and shares with her Jesus Christ. She gets saved and then goes and shares the gospel with her entire household, and they get saved, and, and we see a miraculous thing happen for what we would kind of consider a white-collar, upper-class, wealthy woman, and then the gospel goes and does something completely drastically different. Paul is still walking around Philippi, and he ends up getting kind of um, followed around by this slave girl who has a spirit of divination. She is able to basically tell people their fortunes or their future, um, and she is making other people rich by this demon that she has, this spirit of divination. And ultimately, Paul gets annoyed by her because she keeps following him, kind of um, mocking him that he is a servant of God. And ultimately, he turns around, and in the name of Jesus, he says, demon, come out. And the spirit leaves her within that hour, and she gets freed from that bondage. She gets freed from that slavery, both freed from the slavery of the owners that she has, slavery that she has to this demon, and ultimately slavery that she has to sin. And that is one of the things that we are celebrating, not only for us, is the, the enslavement that we have to sin before Christ is something that we cannot get out of ourselves, but rather in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ himself coming to free us from that bondage provides us the freedom that we need. And so we celebrated that. And, and what we were going to do today, and I wanted to, again, pause and take a field trip here for a moment, was look at this. the next person within Philippi who gets saved is a Philippian jailer. So we have kind of the white collar upper, upper class. We have kind of what we call last week the dog collar because she was um, enslaved and, and a slave to owners, um, freed from that. And then the Philippian jailer is kind of the blue collar. So you're seeing um, all spectrums of socioeconomic status the gospel is after. The gospel is for. People kind of ask us um, in church planting, what's your target audience? Because they want to know, like, are you after the 32-year-old male? Um, or are you after the millennials? Or are you after kind of a blend? And I'm like, do they have a heartbeat? Yes, um, that is our target audience because we want a generational diverse church, a socioeconomically diverse church, an ethnically diverse church. And so we're going to have conversations with anybody and everybody because we are seeing pictures of the gospel going and transforming everyone with different cultural backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. They're just different. And there's a beauty in mixing that together. And that's, what, again, what we want to continue to see. But why I wanted to pause in this was because it's easy for us, just like I said, we've been in Acts now for a year and a half. It's easy for us to come to it and to just kind of routinely, okay, what's the next story? Got it. Let's move on. What's the next story? Got it. Let's move on. But I want you to be able to see the impact that this little church plant in Philippi had, that that. As we kind of look at the district church, we're now in two years, and we're small. That's obvious. What is the impact that we hope for, that we're praying for? That, as I said, the book of Acts, we've only been in it for a year and a half, but the book of Acts from Acts 1 to Acts 28 is a span of 30 years of gospel ministry. 30 years. And the reason why I bring that up is because, again, we're not just planting the district church to see what it can be within three years or five years 
We're asking the question, what is the district church going to be 30 years down the road, 50 years down the road? We're not planting this gospel movement just so that it directly impacts us, but what is the impact that it's going to have on our children and our children's children and the neighborhood that's around us? What's the neighborhood going to look like 30 years down the road, 50 years down the road? How is the gospel going to be made much of? How is Jesus going to be magnified within this area through something that's small in the beginning? And so I want you to see kind of this impact. And so if you were to, if you're familiar with Charles Dickens, A Christmas Story, um, or A Christmas Carol, I'm sorry. Christmas Story is the shoot your eye out, kid, right? A Christmas Story, did I get that right? Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol, Scrooge, all right? He gets visited uh, by the ghost of past, the ghost of present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And so we're, we're kind of going to be visited here by the spirit of the future of this church in Philippi so that, again, you can kind of draw back in and see the importance of what is happening here in Philippi and hopefully see how that translates to us with the district. And so um, the reason for doing this, again, is just because it's easy for us to see this in routine. So first, I want, I want us to not forget who we are. I want us to not forget what we're doing, and I want us to not forget what we hope to see happen in the future. Paul first gets a call to preach the gospel to Philippi in Acts 16, 8 through 12. I know we covered this. I just want to read it for you again. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So at this point, the only gospel presence that is in Macedonia, and specifically within Philippi, is just a vision that is within Paul's mind. That's kind of the seed that's planted here. And when I think about that, it actually makes me think back to when um, Kelsey and I were in Nashville, Tennessee. I was on staff at a church in Tennessee for seven years, and we felt the call to go out and plant a church in Miami, Florida. So we moved to Miami, Florida, and we were there for two years, and we knew that we were going to be the first couple of that church to go out and plant another church. We wanted to kind of be uh, planted pregnant, as they say, and so we were going to be the first couple to leave from there and go plant. And while we were in Florida... We're just praying through, like, what does it look like to go plant another church? What city are we going to go plant in? We knew we wanted to be kind of in a metropolitan area. We wanted to be where um, it was influential. So if, if there's a lot of influence happening within a city that's moving outward, then we want to get into that influence so that we can see gospel change happen, so that that gospel then begins to bleed out as it is influencing those around and so a lot of times urban cities, urban contexts are the ones who kind of produce the influence that leads out to the suburban area, that leads out to the rural areas. So we knew we wanted to be within a city. So we started praying through what city are we going to ultimately land in. And honestly for us, Indianapolis was the only city we considered. It was the only city that we came and visited. We didn't go to any other cities and visit to see if we would go and plant the gospel there. We, we landed here. And we just knew this is where God wanted us to start a church, to plant the gospel, to start building relationships and see what he would do. And so at this point for us, it was just a vision. It was just an idea. It was just a thought. How is God going to ultimately do this? 
at the heart of the mission of God, as it says here, is the preaching of the good news about Jesus Christ. He was called to come into the city to preach the gospel. He was called to preach the gospel. That's of first importance and is consistent in all of Paul's journeys was that he came and preached the gospel. Now, did he provide social justice ministries? Absolutely. There are times where he would come in and he would heal people who were oppressed. He would come in and feed people who were in need. He would come in and provide needs for people. But the first and foremost thing that he would provide for them was the gospel. Because just to heal someone from a demon or to heal someone from a sickness or to provide food for somebody only provides a band-aid for an internal desperation and need that that band-aid is not going to fulfill. It's just kind of like, I mean, we're, we're designed, yes, we can eat a meal, but within three or four hours, we're probably going to be hungry again. Well, the same thing when it comes to spiritual health is we need the gospel. Indianapolis needs the gospel. And they need us to be able to go and preach the gospel to them. So, verse 11, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now, this is important to pause for a moment. They, they get to Philippi, and Luke says they remained in this city for some days. We're not exactly sure how many days that is. It's probably no fewer than a week and no more than a couple of months. And what my aim is for today is to show you how much impact these some days had on the world. Last week, I preached on the slave girl being freed by the gospel, and in turn, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison because of it. And at the end of Acts 16, once they are released from the prison, it says in Acts 16.40, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Seeing the brothers is just another way of saying they kind of gathered the church of believers together and encouraged them, and then ultimately they departed from there, from Philippi, to head into a city called Thessalonica. And I want to read to you a little bit what happens there in Thessalonica. When they had passed through, and this is Acts 17, 1 through 4. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, the, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So now Paul's in this city called Thessalonica for at least three weeks, as it says, three Sabbath days. So why is this important? He's in Philippi for some days. He preaches the gospel. He sees a wealthy woman come to know Christ. He sees a slave girl come to know Christ. And as we'll see next week, a Philippian jailer come to know Christ. He's in prison because of it. And then once he's released from prison, he meets with Lydia. He meets with um, the church that is now planted there. He encourages them and then he departs. And when he departs, he goes into a city called Thessalonica and he continues to do what he knows to do. Preach the gospel. Reason with them about Jesus Christ, 
who he is, the fact that he's died, that he, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That's the gospel. He's sharing that message, and there were people persuaded to come to know him. Why is that important? Because I want you to see something in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. This is later on down the road now. Several years have gone by. Paul's remembering this church that he's planted in Philippi. And he wants to write them a letter. A letter of encouragement, a letter of exhortation, a letter of um, discipleship. That he's providing for them instructions on what they should do in the church, what they should do within the city. He's, he's kind of writing them a sermon in written form in order for them to read to their congregation. So he's thinking back, and, and this kind of makes me picture, I can picture Lydia, and I can picture this slave girl, and I can picture this Philippian jailer sitting in this congregation, having this letter written to them. And in Philippians 4, 15 through 20, this is what he says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, this is right after he was spending that little time with Lydia, spending the time with the brothers, encouraging them, and then he departed. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What this is making me think about is this church that's planted in Philippi. There's a group of people who come together and they're beginning to understand that it's not just about them. Like Paul plants a church in Philippi. Wonderful success. But if it stopped with Philippi, we would not have a Thessalonica. If they were to just take in the gospel investment that was given to them and just said, this is phenomenal for our city. This is phenomenal for our little district of Macedonia. We are seeing the gospel change and transform beautiful things. We are seeing lost people come to know Jesus. This is amazing. We are seeing needs being met within the city. We're seeing community development in ways that we've never seen it within our city. This is beautiful. They would say for Philippi, that is a successful church plant. That is a successful ministry. That is a successful establishing of the gospel within a city. But if it just stopped there, you would not see the people in Thessalonica come to know Christ. Because as Paul says, it takes resources in order for him to be able to go out and continue these missionary journeys. To continue taking the gospel from one place to the next place. As he says, no church entered into partnership with him except for this little church in Philippi who provided him needs, and this was not long after they were just planted. They were just planted, and they're sending Paul out with resources to see the gospel 
here. What this reminds me of is in Luke chapter 19, you have the story of the ten minas. How many of you are familiar with the story of the ten minas? Awesome, I'll tell you. Um, The story of the ten minas is there's this noble man, Jesus is telling a parable here. There's this noble man who has ten servants, and he asks the servants to come to him, and he gives each one of the servants a mina, just think a, a dollar. He gives them money. He says, I want you to go and invest it. And when I come back, I want, you to, I want to see what you've done with the investment that I've provided for you. And so after some time, he comes back and he asks his servants to come back. And one of the servants says, I've taken your one mine and I've turned it into ten. And he says, blessed are you. You are now in control of ten cities that I own and possess. And then he goes to another one, and the other one says, I've turned your one into five. And he says, blessed are you. You are now um, able to, to oversee five cities that I own and, and possess. And then another person, another servant comes up to him and says, um, your one mina I, I took and held it within a handkerchief because I was afraid of you, and I was afraid of losing it. And so I wanted to make sure that I was able to give back to you what it was that you entrusted me with. And he looks at him with severity, and he says, How foolish are you? Why did you not invest what I gave you? Why did you not use this beyond just your own benefit? You tried to save kind of your own life in fear of of me. And what we're ultimately seeing here is there's this investment that's given to us that's not just meant for us. It's not just kind of um, there, there used to be like these youth groups back in the day called Jam, uh, Jesus and Me. Um, it, it's you know God's sovereign when He saves people through these types of like ministries. Um, and and anyways, but Jesus and Me was this idea, and, and it, the whole kind of purpose of it was like you having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, like that is not biblical. Personal relationship, private relationship with Jesus Christ is not biblical. We all have a public relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. Like to literally start out your relationship with Christ is to publicly declare, I'm on his team. I'm with him. He has saved me. I'm proclaiming that to everybody. I'm heralding that to everybody. The reason why we gather in corporate worship is so that the saints can come together publicly declaring and proclaiming we belong to Jesus. We live under the banner of the gospel. He is providing everything for us. We provide nothing for ourselves. Jesus is awesome. We are not. He must increase. We must decrease. If it was just about a personal relationship with Jesus, then we wouldn't gather together. We would just shoot you emails. Here's what you need to read and study. Here's the songs that you need to sing in your own personal quiet times. Here's the the, the scriptures that you need to read. We'll just email those things out. Make sure you stay behind closed doors. Do it, Jesus and me. But it's not designed that way. We're designed to produce. We're designed to multiply. We're designed to make disciples who make disciples. Philippi understood this. Apparently there were other churches who didn't understand this for him to say there were no other churches who partnered with me in the gospel except for you only. And so what he's at here is is don't live in the mindset 
that what we're building is just for us. But what we're building is not only for us, but it's also for our next generation. It's also for other cities outside of Indianapolis to come to know Christ. It's having a vision for multiplication that is beyond what you and I can ultimately actually just achieve ourselves. Like, take this idea of go and make disciples or be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If we were to center that on our context alone, that would look like us saying Indianapolis, maybe Indiana, kind of in the Judea, Samaria, the Midwest, and then the nation and nations being the uttermost ends of the earth. And the charge to us is uh, to do that within 30 years. Reach it within 30 years. Like, I'm overwhelmed already. And one of the hard things is, is we want to see that from an addition standpoint. Let's just keep adding people to the church. Let's just keep adding people to the church. Well, the reality is, is this never going to work just adding by addition. Like, just adding people to the church, just adding converts who do not make disciples. Discipleship has to be an intrinsic, intentional discipleship in which we are teaching someone everything that we've been taught by Jesus. Which, I mean, have you personally been taught by Jesus? Yes, spiritually. But someone's probably sat down with you at different times and done Bible studies with you. They've sat down with you and prayed with you. They've taught you how to pray. They've taught you how to read the scriptures. They've taught you um, if they have any type of theological education, what Greek and Hebrew means and how to look to those things for the for the original meaning of certain words that are within Scripture. like They've taught you different things on how to navigate what this Christianity is so that as I continue to grow in the gospel, I'm able to then multiply that and take that out to others. Philippi was so good at doing this and entrusting Paul and investing in Paul as he went to invest in other cities. I want you to see what their investment in Paul to Thessalonica then produced. Think Philippi in this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then of the earth, and what they produced from their investment. In 1 Thessalonians, this is down the road, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and, Ty- and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Does it sound like they were idle at all? No, I mean, they're, they are working through faith, they are laboring in love, and they are steadfast in hope. And it's all being done in Jesus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you. Remember how the gospel came to them, sent from Philippi to Thessalonica. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you, 
Thessalonians, became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause there because a lot of times we think, kind of when we view Christianity, when we view church planting movements, we, we kind of think of it as this, this ongoing party. This ongoing excitement, this ongoing motivation, this ongoing vibrant lifestyle. And I have seen completely the opposite. In church planting, this being our second church plant now, we've been doing this, I guess, since 2013 was when we moved to Miami. I'm looking at my wife. 2013 was when we moved to Miami. So six years now, we will say to you, spiritually... Yes, there is joy. There is joy in the Holy Spirit. But this work of faith, this labor of love, this steadfastness of hope, absolutely has been met with affliction. Has been met with affliction. We were in Miami. There there were all kinds of things that we were going through that we did not go through in Tennessee. There was financial crisis that we went through. There were miscarriages that we went through. There were things personally, emotionally, spiritually that were just, just trying to destroy us, trying to um, depress us, trying to pull us down in this ministry that we were planting. And then we move here. And even though here there, there was kind of a beginning movement at first where it was like, okay, we're in a little bit of an easier season here in Indianapolis, primarily because cost of living is way different than Miami. But at the same time, still met with incredible opposition. Having some of our best friends leave, that's difficult. And then walking through, you know, I mean, basically the last four or five months have just been very difficult for our family. Again, at times, even from a church perspective, having financial crisis, to then January having um, kind of a happy new year of January 3rd, me outside of our home, moving or driving into our neighborhood, stopping to help someone who had a car broken down to end up being stabbed and robbed. Like that's... That happened to then move into, again, just other months in which we have relational tension. In which we have, you know, little Wyatt. I mean, it's a small thing, but like our our 18-month-old fractures his um, tibia and has a cast on his leg. Like there's just these little things throughout life. I mean, we're trying to, and I, I hate to bring this up, Bryce, I know you don't like attention, but we're trying to rest and relax in Naples, Florida uh, last week or two weeks ago, and we get a phone call that Bryce is having heart surgery and that he's coding on the table and needing to be revived, and we're like, what is going on? But this is what's been promised to us. And yet, in the midst of affliction in the midst of things just seeming like all around us, they're just going wrong, we can have joy because we know how it ends. They were met with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, in verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians 1, so that you Thessalonians became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
remember Paul's vision to take the gospel to Macedonia. Well, once he got to Macedonia, it then got real specific. He lands in Philippi. And landing in Philippi, he meets three people. And he shares the gospel with them. And in sharing the gospel with them, there's households that are coming to know Christ that then bleed out into other people that are just known as brothers who come to know Christ in Philippi. To the point that this little church, then investing in Paul to go to Thessalonica to continue planting the gospel there, plants it there to the point that this church in Thessalonica and the example that they have become has now spread the gospel to the entire district and region of Macedonia and in Achaia. And not only there, but verse 8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Like, just think everywhere. Like, he's not specific at this point. Now he's just saying the gospel's everywhere because of this ministry in Thessalonica. So that, and I love this because you know Paul is not a man few of words. He loves to preach. He loves to talk. He loves to reason with people. No matter where he's at, whether he's in a prison cell, he's sharing the gospel. Whether he's up in front of a synagogue, he's sharing the gospel. Whether he's in the marketplace in Athens, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, he is sharing the gospel. He is provoked within his spirit to constantly speak the gospel. But he says here in verse 8, so that we need not say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves, that is, the everyone everywhere, for they themselves report concerning us, that is, the people Paul and Silas and Timothy have never met, are talking about their doctrine, their character, their reputation. They report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you Thessalonians, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I love how he just kind of throws the gospel in there right at the end of this letter that he's, or this introduction that he's given to the Thessalonians. Again, kind of as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is of first importance. Doesn't mean there's not other things that are important to talk about and address within ministry, but the gospel is of first importance, and at any moment, he's always going to kind of throw it in there to make sure they're still grounded in it. But he's telling the Thessalonians, man, we are so thankful for what God has done in your ministry and in your city because you have literally seeing the gospel go out from Thessalonica, Thessalonica to Macedonia and Achaia, the, the overall region. That would be like us saying the gospel has gone from Indianapolis to the Midwest and then to everywhere, the ends of the earth, so that we need not say anything. Paul's like, I can retire. No, he doesn't, because he still has this longing to get to Rome and preach the gospel there. But the main point that I want you to see here is that where we're at in this city of Philippi, in the book of Acts, is not just little stories to say hallelujah Jesus on a Sunday morning for the fact that he saved a wealthy woman and that he saved a slave girl 
and that he will save a Philippian jailer, but that he's building a foundation for world transformation through individual people. This is the great commission played out in our scriptures that is the very fuel and source for us to be able to do the exact same thing. The Great Commission is not just for pastors. It's not just for leadership. It's not just for, like, the Great Commission is for everyone who lives under the banner of Jesus Christ, who says, He is my Lord and Savior. You have been commanded to make disciples. A lot of times people focus on the go as kind of the main verb there. Go and make disciples. So they kind of say like you need to go on missions or go overseas or go like whatever. That's just a translated word for as you are going, as you are living, the main verb in the text is make disciples. That's the command. We can go, go, go and as you're going do these different things. But if we're not making disciples as we are living, as we are lifestyling, I don't know if that's a word, but I like it. We're going to do it. We're going to make disciples. Because the only way for us to reach Indianapolis and the Midwest and the nation and the ends of the earth is if you individually, just like Philippi took this seriously, if you individually are multiplying. Multiplying. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking addition. I'm saying, are you making disciples it's easy and I, I i totally get this i've been on staffs in churches long enough to know how easy it is to just train people to invite people it's so easy to do that because all you gotta do is just go meet someone at the the gas station hey there's a great church i would love for you to come um, the pastor is this handsome dude, like he's amazing. I want you to come and just listen to his vocabulary. It's beautiful. I want to invite you to come. And then as soon as they get to church, what do you kind of do? It's like, all right, you're, 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 it's your job now, pastor. It's all on your hands now. Make sure you preach with ferocity that they are going to come to know Jesus and then they're going to dive into whatever discipleship you have for them. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. What's much harder is to make a culture, to build a culture where discipleship is priority. And the reason why I say it's hard is because we have to give up things. Because we have to make space. We have to make space for people to come to our houses. We have to make space within our time we have to make space with our resources. Are we being hospitable and inviting people in? Are we buying resources in order to be able to disciple people? Are we investing what we have been given in order to see other people come to know Christ? It takes time, and it's not an overnight fix. We are a microwave culture. We are a fast food culture. We are not... A, a uh, slow roasting, simmerate, like, si simmering culture. We need crock pot discipleship. <laughs> That's what we need. 
It takes time. It takes time because in discipleship, you need to know the person and they need to know you. We can't do that overnight. Some of you have been with us since we moved here, which will be four years this July, and we still barely know you. It's true. We barely know you. For us to make disciples and to see this happen, we've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to be able to teach someone all that we've been taught. The reason why I'm so focused more on discipleship rather than just addition and just inviting is because let's say we kill it in inviting people and kill it in a positive way. Like we nail it. Like we're, we're doing awesome. And let's just say we bring in 100 people a year and we're just growing by 100 people a year, which is a lot. Right now it's more like one-to-one. So we're like 10 to 25, 25 to 50 year over year. But let's say... 100 people a year, you're inviting, awesome. Within 21 years, we'll be 2,100 people. We'll be a megachurch, right? People will consider us a success. But if those 2,100 people only know how to just invite, and they're not actually investing in their lives, you're actually never seeing multiplication. That same first 100 people who came don't know what to do other than just come and see, come and see. But multiplication, if you just focus on one person, one becomes two, and then over the next year, those two people invest in a person each, those two become four, four become eight, eight become 16, you've heard me do this before, 16, 32, like even after five, six years, you're still like 32 to 64 people People are going to be looking at you like, man, I don't know if that church plan is going to survive. I don't know if they're going to be sustainable. They're going to be struggling. That's going to be really hard. They're not growing as fast as they should be. Here's all the reasons why. Here's the things that I hear all the time. But 64 becomes 128. And I'm going to stop there. Maybe 256. Can't go much beyond that. (laughs) But at 21 years... You're over 2 million people. City of Indianapolis population. Metropolitan. Indy, suburbs, rural. 2 million people reached in 21 years by just simple multiplication. By just us training people to focus on one person that they can evangelize, disciple to the point that they then are able to disciple someone else. That's what we want to focus on. And if you actually continue running the numbers... It doesn't take long from 21 years. At 33 years, you're at 8 billion people. Look at the 30-year time span in Thessalonica, and what does Paul tell them? Everyone everywhere has heard of Jesus. That's what we are giving ourselves over to. So when we're seeing these stories in Philippi, Man, they are not just little one-offs of just someone who comes to know Jesus. Oh, that's amazing. We're seeing the gospel being invested in somebody who then is so serious about the gospel that they're investing in in others so that when Paul leaves, there's a brotherhood. There's a group of people. It wasn't just the three anymore. There's a group of people who founded a church in Philippi, founding members that when Paul's now writing this letter back to them, 
He's thanking them. That they took this gospel seriously and that Jesus must increase and that they must decrease, that they're willing to give up their own personal preferences to be able to invest. Invest. To see, even through affliction, joy. And we're after joy. We're after joy. Because what joy promises you is that regardless of your circumstances, you can be satisfied. You can be satisfied. The story back in January, people keep asking me as they hear the story. I'm like now like labeled that guy when we go to see our like church planning networks. They're like people are coming up to me, where's the holes? And I'm like, it wasn't like that. Like, and, and they keep, you know, you can move, right? <laughs> like they're like, you can go to another neighborhood or this and that. And, and I'm like, it's not, if that happened there, then that's where we need to be. The week before Easter, our church trailer got stolen out back here. I didn't even mention that one earlier. We're where we need to be. We're where we need to be. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, not those who don't need a doctor. We're here for those who need doctors. Let's pray. Band, you can come on up. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us the gospel. And God, we pray that the gospel does not end at us, but that we see it take root within our lives in such a way that we multiply, that we are so filled up with your grace that we become a grace to others around us. God, we want to see this city changed. We want to see this region changed. We want to see the Midwest changed. The nation and the nations. We want to see all of them come to know Jesus Christ as their public Lord and Savior. We want Jesus to be the object of our affections. We want to treasure Him above all things. Because he is our greatest treasure. We want to be freed from anything that entangles us and enslaves us within this world, whether that be possessions or pride. We just want to know Jesus and worship him and bring others into that joy. So God, would you through your Holy Spirit, make us aware of the investment that's been given to us in the gospel. And that as we look at these stories of Lydia and the slave girl and this Philippian jailer, that we see ourselves and what type of impact can be done through us into Thessalonica and everywhere. God, let us be willing and, and in submission to this commission. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church.
For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at